welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist, a podcast for feminists of the future. Today we're not your average feminist, but tomorrow we will be. I'm Sarah Curran. I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. All right, guys, thanks for being here again for another episode of the Not Your Average Feminist podcast. This week, we are talking all things guns and Second Amendment. And for those of you out there who need a little bit of a refresher on the Second Amendment, um, the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America says, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So that is the text of the Second Amendment, um, and I just wanted to kick things off by uh, recapping that um, for everyone out there who might be listening. And the reason that we're talking about the Second Amendment and gun control this week is that um, just recently, so I guess um, early March, late February, uh, the House of Representatives passed uh, legislation that is being dubbed as a universal background check bill. And so, you know, it's been in the news a lot lately. And so we figured now would be a good time to talk about this issue. Um, I, I know a lot of people, even on the right or the left, um, has a lot of different opinions about gun control. So we're going to dive right into it. And I'm going to start by just talking a little bit about the bill that the House passed. And I'm quoting from CNN.com. Um, They reported that, quote, the House of Representatives on Wednesday passed significant gun control legislation for the first time in more than two decades, a move that Democrats hope will intensify a pressure campaign for a vote in the Senate. Um, They go on to report that the Universal Background Check Bill, H.R. 8, requires background checks on all firearm sales in the country. Currently, only licensed gun dealers must perform background checks for anyone seeking to purchase a firearm. Most unlicensed sellers do not. H.R. 8 would make that illegal. There are exemptions to the law, like gifts to family members and transfers for hunting, target shooting, and self-defense, according to the House Judiciary Committee website. So that's from CNN.com. That seems like a pretty good description of um, what's in the bill, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think um, Christina will go into detail about the, the specifics a little bit later in this episode. But I just wanted to get things started by just throwing the question out there to you guys, like... How do you feel about guns? Were you raised um, around guns and shooting? And and what are your general opinions about um, guns? Uh, Christina? Um, I mean, I'm a gun owner. I Mm -hmm. own handguns and long guns. I have a suppressor. Um, So I fully support support the Second Amendment. I hunt, um, things like that. I, though, did not grow up around firearms necessarily in my household. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, so it's very difficult to buy firearms in the state. My dad wasn't a hunter. So we really didn't have them around our house. But with Mm -hmm. that being said, um, like some of my best friends, parents were police officers. Um, A lot of my friends, families hunted. So we were, uh, I was around firearms enough to know the general idea of like gun safety, you know, Uh basically don't touch them. Uh, As a child, Um, I bought my first gun when I was 22 at like a sporting good. I went there and I was like, I just need a shotgun because I lived on my own and I felt that I needed at least something without having any training um, to have some sort of protection. So I went and yeah. bought a little 410 shotgun that is like baby pink at, <laughs> at a Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> but I also worked in a gun store. So I am a big supporter. I understand 
probably a little bit more about firearms from even like the consumer and the selling standpoint of it. Mm-hmm. Then, That's really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, so I'm a big gun person. I mean, I'm sitting in my <laughs> office right now with a gun safe that is overflowing for my firearms and my husband's wow. firearms. We have a little bit too many that we need to buy a second gun safe. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. so funny. It's it's interesting how um, you're from New Jersey. So, you know, you would think that your experience would be like different. And I'm from the South where you know, the stereotype is that like, oh, we just have guns laying around everywhere and everyone shoots all day, all the time, like, and whatever. Um, but the reality is I did not grow up in a house with guns. I, my parents did not own guns. None of my relatives to my knowledge own guns. I didn't grow up shooting or hunting or anything. I actually didn't even shoot a gun until I was in college. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting. Like, I've always been a supporter of the Second Amendment and gun rights in general, but it was always like a for philosophical reasons and not for practical reasons. Um, so because of that, like I'm a huge, you know, I'm a, I'm a gun rights supporter, um, but I still have a level of like discomfort around firearms and no, not for any real reason other than just I know how powerful they are and the damage they can do. And so – um, anytime I am, sh- I do go shooting now. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm with someone that like knows what they're doing. So you have kind of a healthy right respect for guns. That's, that's yeah. good. Do you yeah. own any, do you own any guns? I don't actually. And, um, I think about it a lot, actually, like my husband and I, every once in a while, we'll like really talk about whether we should go and get something. Um, and we haven't yet. And mostly just because if we have a extra like few hundred dollars laying around, like, you know, we're going to spend it on something else probably. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's something we talk about a lot and I'm not against it. I just, it's not something that we've done yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like I have a decent or like a really healthy respect for firearms and the power that they have, but I'm, you know, I'm not like desperate to own one either. Right. I sort of similar. I mean, except for I, I mean, we grew up in the same area of the country. Um, (laughs) Grew up in South Carolina. Everyone in my family uh, owned guns, Mm -hmm. Um, or at least the the guys did. It wasn't so much women's play. Um, Yeah, I was taught how to shoot a gun, but I was never really interested in it, other than um, doing like paintball, which is like not real gun stuff so like that was my level of involvement with guns but it wasn't Mm -hmm. like a real real deal thing Mm -hmm. i like i said i have a heavy uh, a really good respect for guns and just how powerful and lethal Mm -hmm. they can be Uh, i remember the first time i went to a gun range like an indoor gun range um i was with uh, i was being trained and i was with all these people uh, that are there were specialists or mm-hmm. at least had a healthy knowledge of gun uh, literacy mm-hmm. and um i just remember i was shooting this really big gun and it was just like i could just feel it like vibrating through like i was i was like nervous yeah i like, did not like the sensation of shooting a gun in a range like with mm-hmm. all these guns going off around me skeet shooting has been more fun that is a much more fun leisurely activity oh, yeah. that i can actually enjoy um, but yeah. And so me and my husband both don't 
own any guns. We have nothing against it. I yeah. think um, – and Well, it's a I've, deeply personal decision, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's like any other – I'm trying to think of like something that's comparable and I'm totally coming up blank. But it's like, like it's a golf. personal decision. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and you it just – you know, you have to be comfortable with it. If you're not uh, – you know, if you're not comfortable handling a firearm, then I don't think that you really have any business owning no. one. Yeah. You know, and like think that's, that's being in a nutshell. Happen. Yeah. I am not comfortable myself with guns. Yeah, I feel and, comfortable with other confident people with guns. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and uh, FYI, I'm the reason why we read the Second Amendment at the very beginning of this because I was like, I feel like <laughs> I don't fully understand, but it turns out it's like super short and basically cuts to the chase. Everyone yeah. has the right to bear arms. Okay, cool, got it. Um, it's just Twenty-seven so, words. Yeah, yeah, that was so. Anyways, so yeah, that's about where I stand. I mean. I, I do think it is r- totally rational to mm-hmm. want to put limits on bad guys owning guns mm-hmm. or unstable people owning guns. So I'm I'm very open to conversations and de- political debates surrounding how to limit that type mm-hmm. of stuff for people that might use it in mm-hmm. in the wrong way. But generally speaking, I think that's an American right that is written in. It's right there. Or it's right there. Yeah. So that's a good segue into, I think, when we talk about universal background checks and the legislation that's pushed a lot, um, either on a national level or on a state level, the argument is we need this to keep guns out of the hands of bad people, um, which is something that we all support, obviously. Um, so I was wondering, Christina, if you could talk a little bit about I know you were reading up on HR8 a little bit today. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you th- what is in the bill and what you've been able to glean from the coverage? Sure. I mean, I think that they're trying to tout this bill as like this big, bad UBC bill that mm-hmm. it is. But ultimately, when you read the text of HR8, like through, the con- through Congress's website, like uh-huh. the actual text of what they're going to try to get through, push through the Senate, uh-huh. it's a feel good bill. To be honest with you, it's kind of silly that they're making this big of a deal out of it because at the same time HR8 was passed, HR like 11, 12 or whatever was passed as well. And that's Uh far worse than HR8. HR8 is just saying if you're purchasing a firearm that you have to go through an FFL. So you have to go through the federal background check. Each state's Mm -hmm. different on how they're background checks are done. But for instance, like a 4473, which is like the regular when you're purchasing a firearm, the, the NICS check is what they want done. It's This is basically the gun show loophole bill. They mm-hmm. want to stop things from the, like the Charleston church shooting from happening. Um, so that per, so he would have had to go through um, and get a background check. But the amount of people right. that are actually purchasing firearms through non-licensed gun dealers, and that is like a transaction, uh-huh. is very minimal. I mean, yeah. this, this is a feel-good bill in the sense that it, it serves – almost no purpose besides maybe shutting people up. Yeah. And it, it that's kind of, so that's sort of the, what I got from the coverage. Um, like it, it's a bill that lets one side of the political debate declare a win. And like, that's basically all it accomplishes. Like in that CNN article I quoted earlier, um, they, it also included a quote from Peter King of New York who said, 
Uh, this is not going to affect more than probably less than 1% of the American people um, and the ones it will affect either suffer from mental illness or are criminals. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly like how much this is going to affect criminals, but it does seem pretty clear that it's going to affect a very small minority of the population and a small minority of the people who purchase firearms. But you have to think of it in this sense. This mm-hmm. is basically the left's version of a win. Just mm-hmm. like when the last legislative session was in, when the Republicans held the majority, uh-huh. the re- version of the Republicans win, that was a feel-good measure as well, which only affected a couple, like 2% of firearms owners, was the bump yeah. stock ban. Now, both are both of these are, are very obviously very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bump stock ban is a was something that Republicans just handed the Democrats to kind of shut them up. Right. It they it was handed to anti gunners, and I shouldn't even say Democrats. It was handed to anti like or the gun people. control movement. Yeah, and, and to to basically pacify them. Right. Um, I mean, and, and, and the uh, in in exchange for like not pushing anything more exactly strict. exactly. Yeah. I mean, is it stupid that an accessory that, I mean, is pointless, it reduces accuracy, um, should have been Not a whole lot of people want, right? What? And not a whole lot of people, like, really want to utilize a bump stock, right? Like, Yeah. But the Um, bump stock aspect is even more of a slippery slope than HRA. So the bump stock mm -hmm. aspect, which was, like, like, the pacifier is scarier than HRA because they're not talking, they're right now talking about a piece of equipment that just modifies the rate of fire. And they specifically labeled it with the, with what the bump stock is. Right. But at first, when they were initially talking about it, they were talking about doing anything that modifies the rate of fire. And I mean, you look at three gun shooters, and this is getting like a little bit in the weeds of like gun stuff, oh, that's like fine. trigger modifications, when you can reduce the weight of a trigger pull, um, to be able to increase the rate of speed of your the weapon firing, mm-hmm. um, it, it's really big in competitive shooting. and the initial approach for a bump, the bump stock legislation was to just reduce the rate of fire, um, which was it's, I mean, you start to go down that slippery slope with any more legislation that's already there. Yeah. That targets like accessories. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just, but just in general, I mean, any more legislation that's already there. I mean, this HR eight, for instance, is a feel good measure. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really not going to affect that many people. We mm-hmm. already have to, as a, like general Americans, when you're purchasing a firearm, I don't know people that are just going to go to a gun store or gun show. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to a gun show and just buy like a long gun. And also I live in the state of Maryland. So anything I purchase has yeah. to go through a dealer no matter what. <laughs> right. But for just for like people out there and like, you know, a, a state like Georgia or South Carolina, for instance, yeah. where there are gun shows and, um, and, you know, a lot of people attend gun shows, especially in states where there's you know, it's a friendlier climate. Um, this just means like if you go and you want to purchase a firearm from someone who is there and is not a licensed dealer, that that seller will have to run a background check whether he's licensed or not. Correct. And that generally just means you go to a like your state police station. Right. And, and as far as I, from what I've heard, you know, there are people on site at gun shows like who will voluntarily run background checks for yeah. you, right? And a lot of non-licensed too. sellers run them anyway. Yeah. Um, even though that they're not required to by law. Yeah. So this is just basically like codifying like, you know, 
you might do it anyway. We know that this is few and far between, but like now you actually like have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is, I get that it is a quote unquote feel good bill, but even if it only affects just a little percent of people mm-hmm. um, in the Peter King quote, the mentally ill and the criminals are the people I would say, I don't care um, if it's only like a fraction of those people, at least that's better than what it is now. So isn't that a good thing? Do we um, like HR8? I would say my feelings on HRA, I think, at this point in the conversation, are it's a feel-good, pointless bill, so I'm not going to get riled up about it, but I'm also not going to be like, oh, yeah, this is a good step in the right direction because from my perspective, and you guys might disagree, someone who is a bad a criminal or mentally unstable, if they're intent on getting a gun, like they'll get a gun. Yeah. It's not going to stop a criminal from buying a firearm. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the the black market for guns is, like, so insane. Like, I I just – I'm not, like, fired up about this bill necessarily, but I also don't think it's going to accomplish much of anything, to be quite honest. Like, the people that go to gun shows and buy firearms, like, out in the open are not the kind of people that I think really turn around and commit crimes. No. And you'll get people, I mean, when I worked in a gun store, you would have people that would come in to try to purchase a firearm. And it is a felony to fill out the federal forms, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that you're a prohibited person. And you would get people that would come in knowing that they were a prohibited person to fill out the paperwork. It would depend if it were a handgun in Maryland, the laws are a little bit different. So there's a seven day waiting period and they would get declined within like day two or day three they would know they were declined. The police would always be informed of the decline of the the, the paperwork based on a felony charge. Um, uh-huh. But then they would send somebody in to purchase the exact same gun, which that would be a straw purchase. And that also yeah. is against the law. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a lot of stuff already set up. If they're going to go to a gun store to buy a gun, they're, they're generally they're the stupid criminals, to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, it's like it's it's in whatever bill, I guess, at this point. But is it going to actually keep Americans safe? Which is, I think, the point of all this legislation. Um, and to me, like the jury is still out, and I'm not convinced. That's why anytime something like this comes up, I'm always like, okay, that's great. It sounds good. I get your talking points, but like, where's the evidence this is actually going to cut down on crime? I don't know that there is any, to be honest. No, I don't think more legislation is going to cut down on any bit of crime mm-hmm. um, at all because criminals don't follow laws to begin with. So if they know that they're going to start enforcing that like one or two percent of gun show dealer or gun show dealers that aren't going through like doing the, background checks, doing background checks, then they're just going to figure out where else to get a gun. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit. You mentioned HR, was it 1112? And yeah. then you said that it was passed at the same time and at, that actually freaked you out more. So what's in that bill? So that is actually called the Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2019. Oh, okay. <laughs> what's um, enhanced about it? Um, the enhanced part of it, it's strengthening the procedures to be followed before an FFL or a federal firearms license licensee may transfer a firearm to a person who is not such a license or who is not like a the person who's purchasing the gun. So basically a gun store or whoever's selling the gun, when they go through the background check, can't give the person the firearm without having everything cleared. So um, 
in certain states, every state's a little bit different on how it's structured. So I can only speak really just because I'm not in like elbow deep in other states' laws. I live in the state of Maryland. If I went to buy a handgun in the state of Maryland and say I've already done my, because Maryland, you have to have like a, like a license to purchase a firearm and say, and I, at this point, cause I haven't bought a gun since they started all that, but like say I'm already past that point. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm filling out my paperwork to purchase my firearm, Maryland state police through the Maryland, um, handgun licensing stuff has seven days to clear me or tell like, or, and give me or not. And like, I wouldn't be able to purchase a firearm. Right. Um, but what Maryland had been doing is after the seven days, if you have been, if they haven't been able to get to, to like to finish up your background check, mm-hmm. the fi- the FFL, the, the dealer you're purchasing your firearm from can release the gun to you. Right. So this is trying to basically say that in the event that the system has not been able to complete the- Like there's a backlog. Check, yeah. If they're a backlog that then um, they don't have to give you the gun yet. So you could pay for your firearm and they could then indefinitely hold this um, for as long as basically they they want. Um, So that, I mean, I I get the aspect. If you're going to go through the process of the background check, you want it to be correct. What really scared me the most about this legislation and and I was like, I was reading it last night. So really um, kind of made me uncomfortable. So part of it is they're trying to, define mental illness or change the terminology for those with mental illness. So in section 922 of the U.S. Code, they're basically going want to strike the term adjudicated as mentally defective, strike that from the terminology and then insert adjudicated with mental illness, severe developmental disability or severe emotional instability. So what that is basically saying is that, you know, they can say you, instead of saying you're just mentally defective, which means that you have like a severe mental illness, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but they're looping in developmental disabilities and emotional instability. So if say you're a veteran coming home and you've been treated for PTSD and at, the, at one point it's considered a severe emotional instability, mm-hmm. um, how long does that stay on your record for? They're no, They're trying to change the terminology of mental illness or a severe developmental disability. Would you consider somebody that's autistic, but, you know, higher up functioning autism? Yeah. Somebody like with Asperger's, a severe developmental disability? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're now there. It's murking the waters specifically with mental illness. Um, so there's a lot of just weirdness. This is the, the piece of legislation, like reading through it. And I probably would need to read through it a bunch more just to like, uh-huh. full, cause it's a, there's a lot, but yeah. it's, it's not good. Yeah. That does like sound really worrisome. I mean, when you say things like we don't want the mentally ill to have guns, like, yes, of course, um, if you're mentally unstable, you shouldn't be given a firearm. But when you start, I guess, widening the goalposts of what it means to be mentally unstable, um, then you're talking about huge swaths of people who are entitled to their constitutional rights. Um, and, yeah. you know, whether you like guns or don't like guns, we, you know, we're talking about denying people their constitutional rights based on very vague and murky definitions, um, which 
everyone should be worried about <laughs> um, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So um, yeah, that does sound really like really scary. And, you know, honestly, there's no wonder that the Democrats are, you know, no one's really talking about that bill because it's, it's a lot more hardcore than HR8, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a lot more hardcore. It's a lot more in-depth of legislation. So just even reading it on like congress.gov, um, HR8, they were at least saying it's like bipartisan. Yeah. HR, like this one is not. This yeah. is, they're, they're not even trying to say it's bipartisan at all. And it looks like, I mean. But they're not, they're not like, like championing it either. They're not like promoting no. it publicly for, you know, you know, now obvious reasons. Um, no. And it looks so like weird. they're going to try to get it read in the Senate, huh. but I don't know when I'm like looking at it now. Well, but I, I mean, you know, I don't think I, I'd be shocked if the Senate brought these up anytime soon. So oh, yeah, probably fine, but um, still it does, it does signal, I mean, y- we know you and I both know this and Sarah, you probably know this too, that like the gun control movement has been actively ramping up for several years now and been pushing legislation like this um, around the country on the state level. Um, in some states, you know, their universal background check bills go a lot farther than what it's, it sounds like HR8 does. Um, but this is this is something that's been on the horizon for a really long time, and they've had their sights set on a federal universal background check bill for a really long time. And um, it's no surprise that while they're pushing something like HR8 through, that they would also try to sneak in something like way more radical. It yeah. sounds like. I mean, you can um, even the vote passage for HR8, for instance, just Republican yays on that were eight. Um, uh, and there were two nays for the Democratic for for Democrats on HR8. When when it came down to like HR eleven twelve, there were three yays from Republicans and seven nays from Democrats. So you can see even there, um, that there, you, you know, I mean, it's not much of a difference, but when it comes down to like some of your blue dogs and some of the people that will fight for the second amendment, regardless of politics, regardless, regardless of their party. party yeah. That, I mean, there people, you can tell that there's some discomfort over yeah. 11, 12. Exactly. So let me ask you guys this. Um, now that we've gone over the legislation a little bit, what would you say, or maybe you guys, you know, agree with this argument. I'm just curious. Um, something we hear a lot from the other side is, you know, if it just saves one life, what does it matter if it maybe inconveniences you or infringes on your rights? Like, isn't it worth it? You could say the no. same thing about the First Amendment, though. So if me not calling, you know, some person while I'm driving, like, a stupid bee. Yeah. And then they ram their car <laughs> into me. I mean, who's to say? I mean, there's other ways of killing people than mm-hmm. firearms. I mean, then you could address that with everything. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's 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 a tough issue because when you talk about these mass shootings and then, you know, the response is always the same on both sides. And and there's a big part of me that's, that's also like, yeah, you know, life is precious and I'm very pro-life. And so there is a lot of, I guess, how should I put this? I have gone through a lot of like 
self, oh my goodness, I'm totally blanking on the word I want to use. Um, self-reflection is not the right word, but I I do sometimes wonder, like, am I being hypocritical by saying I'm pro-life? And then every time, you know, these gun control bills come up, like, how can I call myself pro-life if I'm not willing to say, okay, um, I'll advocate for uh, assault weapons ban if if it just saves one life because it isn't it worth it. But you know it, what I mean, think of the hypocrisy there, though, because if you're if they're then pro-choice and they're advocating for people to be able to have an abortion, yet are removing the rights of firearms. Yeah, yet, I mean, so like think of roles reversed. I mean, yeah. I mean, the hypocrisy is more so on the abortion aspect of it than on the Second Amendment aspect of it. Because right. there's that's, still more babies a year than... Right. No, I know. And that's a really good point. And <laughs> um, and it is... It, 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 I do always go back to this, too, is like, you know, one side likes to talk about how they're pro-choice, except when it comes to things like guns or schools and education, um, things like that. But um, I consistently come back also to the <laughs> argument of like, I'm... I'm pro-life, I'm pro-Second Amendment, I'm pro-gun rights. And part of that means, like, part of that is all about wanting to protect myself, wanting to protect the people around me. Should I choose to use a firearm to do that? Or should my husband decide that he wants to protect our family with a firearm? You know, like, to me, that's just as pro-life as, as like, as anything else. And, um... I think was actually not pro-life is saying that we as Americans don't have the right to use a firearm to defend our life. Yeah. You know? I mean, I have a little bit of a different perspective when it comes to like mm-hmm. that aspect of it, just because my husband was a police officer for so long. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what, he has a concealed weapons permit. When we go out, generally, like if we're going to the mall or and I mean, not that he ever wants to go to the mall, but yeah. <laughs> we're going somewhere like a public place and firearms are permitted. He generally carries uh-huh. um, because a, he's trained. I mean, he was a firearms instructor for the police Academy for, you know, 15 years. So, I mean, uh-huh. he's very well trained. Um, he qualifies twice a year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I trust him to be in any situation. I mean, he had been respond, he responded during like the sniper incident in DC. He was responding during, there was a shooting at Montgomery mall. I mean, the amount of things that he's responded to that, you know, I, the shooting at Montgomery mall, for instance, when that happened a few years ago, um, there was a guy that just randomly shot three people in the parking lot. And I had been working from home that day and he called me and he's like, Hey, can you go grab my sniper rifle? and meet me outside. And it was like pouring rain. And I was like, in like sweatpants, and I'm running outside with this rifle that is probably the size <laughs> oh of me. Get yeah. <laughs> his car so he could go set up and he was on sniper overwatch. In a parking garage. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. for me, I, I, you know, a have, you know, always been extremely respectful of firearms, but it's it, at a different level in my household, yeah. because of my husband's profession. Mm-hmm. My big yeah, gripe is, I don't understand. Well, first of all, I don't like the response by many on the right when these mass shootings happen and you have a, a echo of people like thoughts and prayers. I, I, and I see like <laughs> the people mm-hmm. on the left like, shove your thoughts and prayers where the yeah. sun don't shine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's oh, getting really tense. But um, how they react. <laughs> right. So, 
one thing I don't understand and one thing I get really frustrated with is I don't have a good understanding of what is actually covered in background checks now because it feels like, you know, as soon as these things happen, we start doing a profile of the shooters and it's like no surprise to anyone in their community that they were crazy and they were harmful to themselves or others. And in many cases, it's like well recorded within even like local law enforcement or schools in these instances, bad behavior, violent outrage, verbal threats that talk about killing people um, within the schools or their teachers. And it's like, I don't understand why these people can't be exiled. Like put them in a program, let them help. They obviously should not be free to like, don't just expel them. Mm-hmm. And hope for the best and like let them wander around and break into their family members, you know, gun safe stock of guns. Yeah. I, I I don't understand why we can't do something as a community to to help these people. Well, so we, we can alleviate those kinds of problems. We also and that doesn't that it, it's not it's not the gun. It takes a person to pull the trigger, right? So like what yeah. can we do to not just like this is so I'm very pro-life too, but I don't think we're doing enough of a good job to make sure that the people that are having problems in our society have a safety net, have a have someone to help them out, right? Like I feel like there should be programs to help uh, reintroduce, like, well, first of all, to help the people get over whatever illness that they're facing and then reintroduce them as, you know, constructive members of society. We also have to factor in like mass shootings. So for instance, like Las Vegas or Parkland or Sandy Hook or, you know, the Charleston church shooting, the Texas church shooting, things like that Mm -hmm. weren't happening 20 years ago. I mean, you had Columbine. um, And then really there wasn't something similar to Columbine again until I think it was Sandy Hook. Uh, and there's something societal that I feel like has changed that we're dealing with now as a country because they always use the statistics that, you know, in the United States, mass killings are X, Y, and Z. And I don't know the numbers off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Um, and in, you know, countries like Australia or England or this place or, you know, and they'll pick every other country. Or, but there's something societal about it. There's something yeah. that is happening here and it has nothing to do with the firearms because it's almost like a lot of these killers are looking for fame of some sort. Um, yeah. I mean, the Parkland shooter, the writing was on the wall. That was a failure on the sheriff's Local, department in that county. Yeah. That was a fa- failure of the school resource officer. There was a lot of failures that went into that. Most of them, there are failures. There are ways of them, you know, that these things could occur. The only mm-hmm. thing that is like an anomaly would be the Las Vegas shooting because there's no, there was no warning. Sign. There was no warning signs. There was, there was nothing in his background to even indicate that he was gearing up to do this. And you can't say and, he was purchasing and a firearm. Isn't there, isn't there no report on what happened? They have no, they don't know what caused him. Yeah. They put out, I think they did like the FBI concluded its report and the conclusion was we, we don't know the motive and we probably never will. Yeah. That is so freaky. Freaky. No, I know. And you know, the thing that I would just thought of when, as Christina was talking is like, even, you know, looking at Parkland, like there were so many systemic failures Mm -hmm. that allowed Parkland to happen. And I understand 
the impulse at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I can't talk, um, to say like, yes, maybe there were these failures at the local level, but at the same time, like he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have had access to this gun, um, to commit this heinous crime. And yes, like that's true. Clearly in hindsight, he should not have had access to a firearm, but I don't understand what the solution here is. Um, when you talk about all those failures, like you can't just say, okay, well, like the backup fail safe is that there are going to be no guns anywhere ever. And so crazy people can't get guns because they just don't exist. Like you can't just confiscate every single gun in America and solve the problem, you know? Yeah. So it, it to me, you know, the, focusing on like we need to get guns or get rid of guns or we need to ban certain types of guns misses like the forest through the trees a little bit. It doesn't address the failure at the local level um, for why um, the Parkland shooter was able to get a gun. It doesn't address, you know, why the local sheriff's department didn't act um, on the information that they had or the school resource officers, why they didn't act on the information that they had. Because clearly they had all the warnings and just no one did anything, right? So mm-hmm. – um, and, and and that's not to say that that's the case with every shooter, like the Charleston shooter or, um, you know, Sandy Hook. I'm not sure if if again because it's been a while since I've like looked into it, but I don't even know if there was there if there were signs for those shooters that you know people could have acted on or should have acted on per se. There was Sandy Hook. There was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing. One thing I will say is because um, my previous uh, tirade uh, mm-hmm. just kind of went off on like putting the onus on police officers mm-hmm. or teachers or whatever. I don't mean to say that. That, that is, they are there to, <laughs> especially for teachers, like they're there to educate. So like, I know that they have to do, deal with so much BS in just getting through the day to day. And actually, I think we should have a, an episode where we interview a couple of teachers that have to deal with a lot of behavioral issues yeah. like this just to talk, that kind of stuff. But I think the real, well, the, the issue really is it falls on the family, and it doesn't have to be just like immediate family. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these cases, you can just tell like they're, they're parents that are just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this crazy kid. Um, you could be, it's your cousin. You know your cousin is just a crazy person. Like what do we do as a family to come together and actually have those uncomfortable, yeah. uncomfortable conversations that all families try to avoid all the time to try to deal with a crazy person in our own families? No, I um, think that's a really good point because like – these, you know, like the, the parents of the San- of Adam Lanza and Sandy Hook, like, you know, I know that they knew that there were warning signs um, and I'm not blaming them necessarily, but, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, how do you know which warning signs you need to act on and which you don't? I, I, I don't know. Um, and so I, I don't want to like p- rush to pass judgment on these parents, but at the same time, we do need to have conversations about if you see this or if this is something that's happening, like you need to speak up. Um, on the other hand, you could take that too far. And a lot of people who may be just going through a rough time or dealing with something for a short period could get swept up in, in a, a, a trap of, you know, having their second amendment rights taken away. And as Christina knows, um, and I know just cause we're, I guess, more, um, intimate with this subject, but like, once you get your second am- amendment rights taken away from you, it's almost impossible to get them back. And that's also something that, you know, 
you have to think about. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, except that I do think um, family and community has to be a part of it for sure. I just, I, I, and that is one thing that bothers me more than anything. We always have an outroar about how are we going to take the guns away? Mm-hmm. And then people are like, you're not going to steal my guns. And I'm just like, whoa, people, why don't we talk about the things that we each have some sort of control over? Yeah. And that's the people and being good, um, good friends and family to the people in our life and making sure we're looking out for these people. And I'm not talking about like alerting authorities yeah. that, you know, you think something bad could happen. And I mean, unless it's like really em- yeah. eminent threat that you actually do think is <laughs> they're going to act on. But I'm talking about like working with the family. Maybe it's a cousin. So you have to work with your aunt or uncle to sit down and be like, we really think what would be best for Jimmy Jr. is if we put him in this, I don't know, assisted living home to help him with his addiction or to help him work through his illness or get him better medicated or get him stable or Or, whatever. Or like, hey, Uncle Bobby, Jimmy Jr. um, is displaying all these worrisome signs. Why don't you let us take your guns for a while? Yeah. Or something like that that doesn't involve getting law enforcement or some kind of court order. You know, exactly. it's just like keep it in family, the family, but family try to looking keep it for family and just saying like, hey, this is worrisome. You know, we want to talk to you about it. And 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 hey, at the same time, like, let's re- let's remove like some of these risks for you. Because and, honestly, you know, um, and 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 on this is not it is gun violence. Uh I had there was a death in our family recently, mm-hmm. uh, a suicide oh, with a gun as the mm-hmm. method. Um I'm sorry. And we had to do – I, me, me and my sister had a lot of uncomfortable conversations with our own parents and our step-parents about what they're going to do about the guns in their home because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm about to have a baby. She already has one on the way. We're really nervous about – because I, I, I know they don't have good uh, gun safety measures yeah. set up in their home and I – and while our the what our family worked through was not an accident, it just got us thinking about it in general, and it got us nervous because, like you know, what could potentially happen? We were just like in a in a fog of the whole the whole yeah, situation. So, like, I and I I think it's I was I was proud that me and my sister could have those conversations because it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but you need to have them. Um, it's all, not everybody. It's all about, not everybody has a gun lock. Yeah. Not everybody has mm. people in their family that um, can be trusted with guns or actually know how to like work like correctly maneuver them. So yeah. and having a healthy respect for firearms means having uncomfortable conversations sometimes. Yeah. And you know everyone's comfort level is different. Obviously, like Christina and her husband have a certain comfort level that I don't know that my husband and I will ever get to. And that's fine. Um, I think at the end of the day, it really just just comes down to like, you know, what's best for you and your family. And then also be on the lookout in your community and and your friends and your family and be willing to have those open conversations. And um, and let's just start there. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and focus less on legislation. I mean, look, in general – I think a lot of our problems could be dealt with like 
some good old fashioned like conversations and just like conflict resolution and like, you know, um, enhancing the family and like rebuilding our communities as opposed to just, you know, Washington, D.C. passing a law. Um, so that, you know, I, I favor that one approach over legislation all the time for the most part. But I, mm-hmm. I really do think like a lot of these gun control bills that people talk about just kind of miss miss the mark when it comes to just p- keeping people safe. And I know HR 8 is not that big of a deal. 1112 seems a little bit more scary. Um, but in, in the context of any gun control measure, I'm always thinking about like, is this actually going to keep people safe? And is this infringing on our constitutional rights? And I know a lot of people on the left roll their eyes when we bring up constitutional rights in the context of gun control, but like, you know, apply any of these arguments to the First Amendment or to any other rights that we hold dear and and why does the Second Amendment matter less, I guess, is what I always come back to. So I guess that's where Mm -hmm. I stand. Um, I guess we'll see what happens, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is a complicated topic. Of course. And we only, (laughs) we like didn't even scratch the surface really tonight. I really like that. Um, But I guess, you know, there's some movement. So We'll see if the Senate picks up these bills. I guess a big part of me doubts it'll happen anytime soon, but I guess you never know. Um, any other I'd thoughts? Be, I will. I would be really interested to hear back from anyone who's listening now if they have heard of any cool, new, unique approaches to gun. solving this problem, whether it's with legislation or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of like local solutions. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. Um, and the, the most local being obviously the family unit. Yeah, that's but, a better um, way of putting it than my like rambling dissertation <laughs> from like two minutes ago. <laughs> um, but this is an issue that I'm still growing on and I love I love to uh, just collect everyone's consciousness and like d- do a download to, mm-hmm. to make me a better, more informed citizen and voter. So please share everything you got with us yeah on all of our social channels and whatnot yeah and feel free to email us at hello at nyafpod.com so we love getting we love getting feedback and email so and and it can be on anything it can be your show sucks or it can be i have an idea about guns that i would like to email you about it doesn't matter we'll take it we might even read some of it um, on the podcast someday. So we might even ask you to come join us to talk about it <laughs> so um yeah thank you yeah. All right. Any, thank you, Christina and Amanda, for educating me on this, <laughs> first of all. But thank you all for listening as well. <laughs> anytime. Anytime. All right. Any last parting thoughts before we go? Not for me. Going once, going twice. All right. Thanks again, guys, um, for joining us on this episode. Again, please subscribe to us um, wherever you get your podcasts, either Google Play, Spotify, or iTunes. We're all there. And until next time, we will talk to you later. Adios. Bye.